once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 61, and look at where we are. It is USA, or should I say Mexico USA week, the final meaningful World Cup qualifier ever. Well, we have a lot to talk about. We have a very special guest in the business end. It is Sebastian Salazar, good one of the, one of the really good people in this industry and the, the star of the hit show on ESPN Plus, Football Americas. As always, a reminder, this is a very good time for you to rate, review, download, share the Soccer OG as we head into a very big couple of months. We will be informative. We will make you laugh. We may make you cry. We'll make you think. How's that for a podcast? It's going to be a good show, and you're going to love this conversation, and you're going to get a lot smarter from it. So let us get started. The Soccer OG starts right now. I'm going to keep this open as brief as possible. I get the feeling I say that every time, but I really mean it this time because I've just wrapped up the conversation with Sebi and it went a lot longer than I I was I thought. I knew it would go long, but it was just an endless bucket of goodness. We covered so many things about USA Mexico. We covered stuff about a hit show and how you cater to a Hispanic audience. I feel like we did some really good work covered a lot of ground, so we will have that in its entirety here in a couple minutes. But as I said earlier, this is it. Mexico-USA, the final meaningful World Cup qualifier perhaps ever. As we know, in four years after 2022, USA-Mexico co-hosts the World Cup with Canada. They don't have to qualify. After that, it's going to be 48 teams in the World Cup. Teams will probably be, USA-Mexico will be in different groups. They may not, they may, really, we might be seeing the end of this steady flow of USA-Mexico games. And I think the, foot, the Mexican Federation and U.S. soccer have to look in and say, make this game as frequently as possible. Just because it has moved to the top of the list of world rivalries for the simple reason that they play more than any other rivals, more than Brazil and Argentina, more than Japan and Korea, more than Germany and England, more than Germany and the Netherlands, more than anybody. This is the rivalry that is most frequent and generally creates these memorable matchups. Much more on this rivalry over on the Soccer OG on my YouTube channel under my name, Max Bredos. We will have a full preview of the game. We'll get into some tactics. We'll get into what we're going to talk with Sebi here in a little bit on why the U.S. have a shot here and how they should approach this game. And they should approach it with the intent that they can win. Sounds crazy. Keep in mind... The last time Mexico has beaten the United States in Mexico, 2009, ahead of the 2010 World Cup. Last two World Cup cycles, there were ties. Even the crummy team that the U.S. had in 2017 got appointed at the Azteca. And this is a a poorer Mexico team than five years ago, and it's a better USA team. Whatever that's worth. It's 90 minutes. Anything can happen. But it's been crazy because I had to get off Twitter over the last couple days. And YouTube, I go, I follow a lot of people on YouTube. It's great content. Obviously, all the streaming stuff and ESPN Plus, Football Americas, I watch too. And there's so much stuff on it, and it's getting me nervous. And I feel exhausted. And we're still, you know, a good day and a half away from the game. So <laughs> I had to, I had to take a break. So I took a break and I turned on TUDN, and then I also watched Football Picante and all the the magazine shows from Mexico, and they exhausted me too not in a bad way but just 
people are nervous, man. And it's not, it's both sides of the border. Both these teams are going to qualify. Mexico is in better shape because after they play the United States, they travel to San Pedro Sula to take a Honduras team that's that's checked out of qualifying. There's no way they can beat Mexico, I don't think. Maybe a point, best case. And then Mexico at home to El Salvador. They need four points in these three games. They're going to get them. Remember, Mexico and USA tied on points. USA, three points probably gets them. So beat Panama, you're going to qualify. Uh, but <laughs> everything plays into this first game as if you could, you know, look, you can really clear some entanglements, headaches, anything, you know, <laughs> any of the really gut-wrenching stuff by not leaving it to the final game, by seeing what you can do in this first game. And both teams are aware of that. But anyway, it's just, it was hilarious. Everyone's in just dire straits. So, you know, everyone take a few minutes, do some meditation. I'm starting to meditate a little bit. It's doing the body good and a lot of bad energy. Get out. Go to the gym. Sit in the sauna. Something else I've been doing. Uh, just get away from sports. Read, read a book. Um, spend some time with your family. Have a good meal. Drink some wine. Drink a beer. Drink a tequilazo. Whatever it is. Because uh, when that game starts off, we're all going to be a, a, a barrel of nerves. But this is what makes it so appealing. And obviously my content is surround. I'm telling you to, to disconnect. And all my content is USA Mexico. But it will come and it will go, and then we get ready for the Sunday game. But we, we really should hang on to this. And it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to have that pit in your stomach, to feel like you might be physically ill because of what these 90 minutes will hold. And the U.S. has injury problems. Mexico has a slider injury problem, much slider, but they do have it. But that was was making me laugh because I was watching some programming in Mexico, and they were like kind of comparing the, the missing... Andres Guardado and Cata Dominguez to missing Weston McKinney and Serginho Dest. And I'm sitting there with a blank stare going, no, no. So for me, USA, go for it. I think Greg, I had a chance to talk to Greg Berhalter and I talked about in the last podcast. He said to me in many words, he was going to go for it. Check out that last podcast with Kellen Acosta. I think you'll like that as well. Check out the entire library of podcasts. I know you guys are doing based on the numbers. It is so fulfilling. Thank you. Keep on supporting this. We the, the plan is get through the World Cup draw and then really ramp things up for the World Cup. And I want to take you guys with me so that we can have this incredible 2022 that you have alternatives in your soccer content that you can go so many places. There's a lot of good stuff, but this is one of these places that won't steer you wrong, give you pertinent information, accurate information. And yeah, yeah. Any... And if I don't, you can call me on it. I got very thick skin, and I'm always up for a laugh. Enough of my yapping. Let's get to this incredible interview in the business end with Sebastian Salazar. This is the Soccer OG. We're back here on the Soccer OG. It is my pleasure now to welcome to the show for the first time, hopefully not the last, but it's hard to, this is one of the busiest man's, busiest man, look at him, he's laughing. Busiest man in soccer TV, content, you name it. Sebastian Sebi Salazar of now the hit show, Football Americas. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Just flew in from Miami. Uh, I know like your, your hometown. So I, I, was, I was down there for Soccer X America, oh. which is a pretty cool event. That's I got, why I, I, I'm I, even... 
Go ahead. Sorry. I'm repping my you. You can't see it, but I'm repping my uh, my USL Miami kid. Dude. So I'm, I'm decked out of Miami head to toe for you. Matt. The Miami FC club, the original, yes. the original Miami team. Uh, it's uh, no, no, no shots taken at Inter Miami. I'm, I'm hoping they do well. They got some work to be done. They have <laughs> built, dug a bit of a hole. Shots for themselves. fired. Shots, shots fired. fired. Hey, trust me. I don't. I could not. I want that to be a success. It's good for the league. It's good for the league. But I realize now what's going on in Miami because I texted Alexi and he was he sends me a photo of Joe Stone Crabs and then I saw Grant Wall send a tweet about checking into a hotel and the guy says you don't have to wear your mask and he goes I'm wearing it from New York. I go what's all these what's all the soccer people doing in Miami? Now I know why. So that must have been a that's yeah, a great you know place. Why. That's a great place to network. I mean, yeah, really. It's a, so I've never been to this event um, and. It, for people who are like sports fans, I would compare it to maybe like the winter meetings in baseball where like the owners come together. Um, I, I think, I don't know if you remember, we talked about this too on the Max and Herc podcast many, many moons ago um, <laughs> in the, in a, in a pseudo free agency of Mexican soccer, there's this draft that happens in like the lobby of a hotel. It used to happen back in the day. It doesn't happen anymore. El Mercado de Piernas, the market of legs. And, um, and so you know, everybody who's anybody is there, agents, um, league executives, television executives, all the kind of power players in the, in the soccer slash connected industry space. Plus, there's everybody who's trying to sell them stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're a soccer nerd, it's, it's kind of a cool event. And, um, and a trip to Miami is never a bad thing. They put us in, we're like, right, we're in the Miami, not like downtown Miami, but the part that's like, you know, right on the Atlantic Ocean. So like Miami oh, like Beach, Brickle. Kind of, it's the Miami Beach Convention Center. Oh, you're right in the, you're in proper Miami Center. Beach. Like, yeah, it's, okay. it's like, I'm, it's amazing. You know, it's, you know, I just went out for one night, one little walk, you know. That's it? Um, just, that's it. No, because I mean, I, I flew in super late on Tuesday and flew out, you know, Wednesday afternoon. Um, but I had like one classic Miami dinner in a um, in like a in like a really nice restaurant that was way poor, very poorly lit, like very dimly lit. Uh, everybody was like dressed to the nines, and I was in there with I don't know if you know Will Coons, like yes. longtime MLS, good uh, dude, PR. great, great dude. He's um he's now with USL, so we went out and grabbed a quick bite. But we were the definitely the two that did not fit in <laughs> the Miami is, South Beach crowd. What kind of food was it? Because everyone says get Cuban food in Miami, but now you have options. You have Colombian food, Peruvian food, Argentine steakhouse, Brazilian steakhouse. So I mean, it's not just Cuban anymore. But I would I would get some Cuban fare if I was there. Yeah, I think if you're if you're going to go to Miami at some point, you got to get some Cuban. Now I've been to Miami before, and I, I've I've had plenty of Cuban food in Miami. <laughs> Uh, this place was kind of like an Asian fusion type. And I had, I, of course, I had the sea bass. I had to do it. Ooh, very, muy rico. So, uh, and don't tell this to my, you know, don't tell this to my mom. Not that you're having a dialogue. I'm sure your listeners care about what I ate in Miami last But they time. do. They do. Because people go, I'm going to Miami. What should I eat? And don't tell this to my mom. Not that you have a dialogue with my mom, but I don't miss Cuban food as I miss Mexican food when I don't have it in a while. So just mm, throwing it out there. Yes. Yeah, there's something about Mexican food that's very like, soul warming but comforting right best food um, in the world know, in my you, opinion yeah and you do, i'm not gonna disagree with you there and you guys are you guys football americas i want to talk about you'll be going to mexico city so while we're talking yes. food what is on you you have to have a spot or two that you're gonna hit or if not i know hercules yes. will take you to a taqueria somewhere yeah nah so I, we have a kind of tradition in the family um there's this there's this kind of taco place they have like maybe three or four of them around the city called Charco de las Ranas. So like the frog's pond. 
and um, they make. <laughs> By the way, I, I got to stop you really quick because you just had two expressions. One was mercado de piernas, which sounds better in Spanish than English. Pero charco de las ranas sounds better in English than in Spanish. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. These are so, the things I noticed. Yeah. So we, so just like it's a, it's a family tradition, right? Usually the, the flight from DC to Mexico city, it's, it comes in late at night. Um, we always get picked up by my uncle. Uh, he may or may not have like, you know, a, a little tequila with them or whatever. Um, we go, we kind of cruise around the city at night. Cause it's the one time the city is, is kind of a, you it's you can get to it you can ex access all of it in a car any other time of day forget it like after midnight's the only time you can like really zip around mexico city check it all out and then we go to this place and that's Chacarera a great tourism Ranas. that's a great tourism nugget like if you really yes. want to avoid the traffic and land late and like tell your tell your taxi guy or like hire a driver ahead of time and be like hey just zip me around mexico city for like an hour after midnight Epic time. You'll see the city in an amazing way. That's what I'm going to do. I won't recommend do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say be safe, you know, always, always kind of be safe, go in a group, like know what you're doing. Uh, but I would say, I would just advise that anywhere you travel. I will say nationally, but yes. I'm oh, sorry, but I, I, I've been, to, I haven't gone to Mexico recently, but before the, before COVID, I would go frequently because of Combate Global, then of Combate Americas. Oh, and yeah. I would get an Uber driver and they're usually students. And the Uber is the best deal. I mean, for like six bucks, you have it 20, 30 miles, nothing. And then you get a tour guide. It's a student going down. I, I, so highly recommend it. safe. Maybe not everywhere, but where I was, it was in Guadalajara. I was in yeah. uh, Los Cabos, uh, Merida, Yucatan. The Ubers were fantastic. So there you go. Tourism, tourism tips for Mexico. Very important because people are traveling again. Yeah, and it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a great trip. You know, it's it's kind of the last of the USA Mexico World Cup qualifiers in the, in the format that we've known for the last like 20 years. So, it's going to be special beyond just like a, a USA Mexico game. So, I'm looking forward to it. I, I land on Tuesday night. We're going straight to Charco de las Ranas with my uncle, probably one or two of my cousins. We eat tacos al pastor, like they make the best in the city. Uh, they make everything in there is good, but you know, I'll just do like six and the the tacos are very, you know, they're small. It's like one hand. So four, five, six, it's nothing. Even for a, you know, a pretty thin guy like me, have a couple Cidral Mundets. They go down very well. Like Ooh, manzanitas. Apple, like cider. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> God, that's awesome. So, um, and that, that, what, yeah, what does that cost you? Like six bucks, seven bucks? Nothing. If that. Nothing. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's very cheap. I, I think like relative to, especially, you know, you, you got to consider like you live in LA, dude. I live in DC. Like if I go out for dinner here a uh, night with my wife uh, and we don't drink, you know, just a night with no alcohol, just a normal meal here in DC, easy, like a hundred bucks when you're Oof. throwing in tip and anything else. Right. Um, you know, for, I could pay for like the four or five of us. And this is a nice place. It's not like a, it's not like a total dump or anything or like a hole in the wall. It's a, it's a nice spot. Um, you know, I could probably pay for all of us with like easy 40 bucks, you know? So you're lucky you don't drink, nice. man. You're lucky, you're lucky you don't drink because yeah. that goes yeah, up double, helps. if not triple. <laughs> totally. Totally. My wife, she, you know, she doesn't drink. So it was just kind of like, I just kind of followed her footsteps. And now like, man, our dinners are way cheaper, you know? So it's great. <laughs> the Al Pastor taco is the perfect taco. And, um, well, I don't have this audio here. Oh, I have, pardon me. I have to fix my audio. I just, there we go. So it might sound better all of a sudden. So I apologize, but that's how we roll on this podcast. 
But yep. the Al Pastor is the perfect taco. It's the, the one you should always order. Now, if you're seeing it being prepared on the trompo, you may not want to eat it because it's raw marinated pork. But something from the cooking to when it is in that tortilla is... Nah. It's perfect. I want to cut straight off. I want to yes. cut straight off. So, and that's the reason. So in Mexico, you can't really get it. Tacos al pastor in the United States are usually not that good because it's already cut off and like, sitting in a tray somewhere. Yeah, yeah. The, the the rules of like how you have to cut it for sanitation or whatever are just different. And so I think in a lot of places in the U.S., the tacos al pastor suffer for that. So you can only really get, I think, good ones in Mexico. You know, Mexico City and many places, but. Um, yeah, we have, some good, trucks. We have some good trucks in L.A. right off the trompo. And you're like, oh, yeah. And uh, I've been out great. there a lot recently, you know, for the show, of course, stuff. And yeah, no, for sure. You eat well in L.A., especially if you like tacos. Well, let's talk about football. We're talking about Mexico. So let's 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 address this game because it is huge. And the mm-hmm. historical significance is not lost on anyone because it's going to be one of these final games. It is uh, added the fact both teams' World Cup hopes could hinge on this result. Let's say Mexico wins convincingly, or if the USA wins, the loser is in some hot water. I mean, I think they all qualify, but that second qualifier just resonates so much more depending on how this... And Mexico hasn't been great at home. The USA has been really poor away. Uh, I would tend to think things go a normal way, but I know in Mexico they've got to be nervous about this. What's normal? It is. It, it's normal, normal, but it's not right. It's, it's if you feel like you're going in there, but there's some there's elements that are different. And I was speaking to Kellen Acosta in here and he he had, he told me, he goes, these are players. They're still learning all this. And for many of these guys, this is their first game at the Azteca. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've now been to El Salvador and they've been to Panama and they've been to Canada. But this is this is the Azteca. So I there's so much of the unknown, but there's the known. It's all blended together. And. It's, uh, it would make a great taco, really, if you put it into a taco. <laughs> this game, I just don't know. I am, I'm confident, but I'm also nervous, very nervous, as a U.S. fan. To your point about the, yeah, to your point about the Azteca, I think it's an interesting observation, right? Because you, I've heard that too. You know, Herc, you've heard the stories of him being underground at the Azteca and what it sounds like when that place is rumbling and how intimidating it can be. And he's not the only ex, you know, U.S. men's national teamer that I've heard stories like that from. I, I believe it. But I don't think it's, it's the same Azteca anymore. Hmm. And um, it, it, it was like, those last two home games. It didn't look like it. Granted, no, one was behind and, closed doors or both. Yeah, it's been it's and it's been a while since it's been it's been the same like place. You know, um, one of the last games that I remember where you really felt like kind of Azteca weighed was in the qualifying for 2010 when the U.S. went down there. I don't know if you remember the Charlie Davies game when yes. he scores early. Um, but as that game wore on, like you got the sense that not just people always talk about the altitude, but in that case, the sun, it was a day game that, that the conditions really kind of like wore down the U S and Mexico ended up scoring a late goal to kind of win it at the end. Um, but in, since then Mexico's really gone to a lot of its games in Azteca at night because it fits better for TV, which makes everybody more money. And so that advantage of being at altitude in the day, which if you've ever been to Mexico City, you'll know this. Walking around in the day in Mexico City with the sun and the altitude, it, it, it'll, like, it'll mess with your head. Forget your body. It'll mess with your, your, your brain. You, you'll feel weird, you know? Um, and that's, Are and you that's okay, Sebi? My brain is feeling weird. 
um, you know, that's walking around the city. That's not trying to run right. and, and, you know, play 90 minutes uh, in, in extreme conditions. So uh, I think that the reality is when you, when you take it out of the day, when you take all the Mexican players out of Mexico, so they're not acclimatized to it anymore. You know, they don't have the natural advantage that, that, that the used to have over the Americans before most of all the Mexicans were playing in Mexico. Most of them were playing in Mexico city. So, you know, it was nothing for them. Now everybody's coming into it fresh and it's, it's a challenge for everybody. And then on top of that, you have to kind of acknowledge the state of the team. And maybe that's kind of the next, another topic, but Azteca itself is not the same. And there's, and there's tension between like the fans and the team at this point, it's not just that they're struggling and not really playing well. It's also like beef with the Federation over their handling of the homophobic chant and how they've been policing that. Now they're handling of the Querétaro situation. Like the fans themselves are angry um, and, and not just at the team, but at, at the things that the team is surrounded by the Federation, its coach. So there's a great bit of negativity in Mexico, I think towards the national team. And the stadium is not the same intimidating place that it used to be, um, either for, for physical reasons or because the crowd emotionally isn't as into it. And I don't, even like if you look at the stadium itself, when you watch the game, you're going to see uh, like a large chunk. I'm doing this hands like people can see it. Uh, like, they, like the bottom part of the lower bowl covered up. And you're going to say, what? Those are like the best seats. Those, why would they do that? Right, right. All that was covered up for the NFL. And so, and again, the tech, NFL makes who makes Televisa, who owns the stadium money. So of course they're going to do it, but you take out a, a lot of people and you take out the in intimacy, the, the on top of you feel of it because those first few rows are, are the people that are closest to the, to the pitch. They're the ones that can most intimidate. And they just wiped all of that out for like some trees and some, and some, some placards. And so it's a really, it's a different stadium. Both the players that are in it are not, don't have the advantage they used to have in it. And the stadium itself just doesn't have the same vibe. So I, I think if, if there's ever a, an opportunity for the U.S. to go in and do something special, even if Mexico was flying right now, you would, you would say so. But Mexico certainly not. They're flying. not. Yeah. By the way, we got to see without Hercules interrupting you and trying to be funny. Look at <laughs> Sebi stretching his legs out with beautiful analysis. I know how that guy is. I know who's a word. But uh, that's. It's a great point. You do. <laughs> if he, you if do. you have a mistake, he will burn you immediately and he'll tweet it out. <laughs> uh, well, a mistake or whatever. What I, what I, yes. What he'll really do is, you know, Herc, Herc is very strong in his beliefs and his convictions, sometimes so much so that even when um, he's wrong, like just he's wrong, he <laughs> thinks he's right and, he, and he's sure of it. So when we were in Russia for the World Cup, I made a couple bets with him when he, he was like, no, he's like, yeah, it was a remember the 1994 Romanian team that was very good. Yes. That uh, dyed all their the hair Cup. blonde and sabotaged. No, no, oh, no that was a 98. No. That was a 98. Sorry. 94. So he was like, yeah, the 94 US, group of USA. He like yes. He was like the 94 Romanian team. They dyed their hair blonde. I was like, no, it was 98. He was like, no, I'm sure. It was oh, so 94. I got it wrong too. I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, so, okay. I was like, cool. I'll bet you, I'll bet you something from the official Adidas store in Moscow where everything was like way overpriced. And he was like, done, done. I know. And I like pulled it up on the I was like, all right. So I got a pair of uh, cool Adidas shoes out of it. I'm surprised he, he didn't um, talk out of it and say, wait a minute. He's very no. quick. <laughs> he's very quick to jump on you. Just, he's not always, 
um, what he thinks is a mistake but it isn't always a mistake, but sometimes he gets me good. I, yeah. get and we say this out of love because I, I, I adore that guy as I adore you and Herc. We're at course, the same gym. I, I, I text him every day and we're always, you know, kind of touch. And he's like a sounding board for me when, you know, for whatever reason. So um, I actually reached out to Herc when uh, it was interesting because when Bob Bradley, I had to develop a relationship. I talked to Herc for a bit and he gave me really good advice dealing with it. And I went to Bob and our relationship improved a lot better because you have to handle it. So that's something about Herc uh, that uh, I think people should know because we have some fun in him, but he's got to reel it back a little bit. Uh, what, how do you think this all ends up in qualifying? What, Dude, it's crazy. In order. So I was just talking. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, four points is, is the number. Any, anybody who's saying like three is enough is, is just doing different math. I think you can get in with three for sure. But it's not going to be comfortable, and and you know you're, you're you're putting your your chances, your ticket in somebody else's hand. They might not grab it, but you're putting it out there to be grabbed. So I think from the U.S. perspective, that that I think adds another element to the urgency of Mexico City. You know, on the 24th, because the U.S. will be heavy favorites, should be against Panama, and really, if you look as good as Panama has been, as many points as they've racked up. If you look man for man, player for player, I mean, it's just not close. The U S should really roll Panama in the United States. It's what happened last time around, you know, before that people forget before the, the horrific, you know, scenes in Cuba, um, the U S rolled Panama in Orlando for nothing and looked un looked unbelievable. Um, you know, it was an unbelievable match. So I think the U.S. will be big favorites to get the three points against Panama, but they've never won in Costa Rica and they've never won in Mexico in qualifying. So you got to figure that you got to get at least a point out of those two games. So if you don't get anything out of Azteca, then you're leaving it for the last game. That's I think that's I think kind of how much is on the Mexico game. And you don't and you don't want to leave it to that last game. You don't want to a place you've never won before. The U.S. Men's national with team, team fan with base. A team, with a team that's going to be playing for everything, right? If Coast, we assume, right? If, if the U.S. can really get to that last game and they've won three points and, and, they've, and they're still not guaranteed a spot, right? Because there's a, you know, if everybody else loses, if, if Panama and Costa Rica fall away in those first two games, it, it won't matter, right? Um, and if, effectively, if the U.S. beats Panama, they've eliminated Panama from catching them so so it's really only costa rica you're worried about yeah I, but I if think... costa rica wins their two games um which is a possibility yeah it's maybe they, not the most likely based home in canada results. home to canada and then at el salvador mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. Th- th- and they're playing great so and they have the, the having a really good goalkeeper <laughs> and Kaylor navas's yep. home, stock just went even more so canada, that's that's tough. That's going to be tough. Canada hasn't lost yet. So that's not a guaranteed nothing for Costa Rica. They're going to have to earn that. And, and, and I, I don't think it'll be easy, but if they get past that, if we come out of, out of match day, one of these three with Mexico having beaten the U S and Costa Rica having beaten Canada, it's on because then even when you beat Panama, you assume El Salvador that's been eliminated as, as tough as they are as whatever is not going to beat Costa Rica, right? Costa Rica playing for a spot in the World Cup should beat El Salvador. So then you're looking at a, at a playing game in Costa Rica. And that's not where anybody associated with U.S. soccer wants to be. Look, it's, it's not easy to get a guaranteed spot before that last game, but it's doable. And, you know, if they can get a point in Mexico, 
I think it's a huge, huge weight off everybody's shoulders. Cause I it really, at that point, all you got to do is what you're supposed to do, which is beat a Panama team that, you, that you're better than. Yeah. And Emmer, we were, we were all at that Panama game uh, five years ago. And it, I think it's going to be a similar. Five. I know. And I think it's going to be a similar situation with the U.S. They're going to win that game. And I think they're going to win by multiple goals. It's the Costa Rica development is what's really made everyone nervous because they were off the back tire. There was four teams. So you, you, you say, OK, things go bad. We finish fourth. We go play New Zealand. We should get in. But now you have this fifth place team, and that is, it's still a huge drop. USA would have to really do something poor, or Mexico, because you know, obviously they're, uh, they're the same, same point of the standings. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a, just an uncomfortable development, and there's, really it all comes back to this Mexico game. It just adds more layers to this, which makes it so fascinating, and it's going to be you know, one of the more important games in the history of this program. Perhaps Mexico, when you keep in mind – the World Cup in 2026, yeah, sure. you have to make this World Cup. You have to. Uh, otherwise, the sport's in trouble. So I can't wait, man. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see how it all plays out. It's hopefully that we don't reach that point. And, all, you know, Costa Rica certainly deserves the respect, but I hope it doesn't get to that final game and we're all sweating and terrified uh, because I, the, you will immediately start thinking of Trinidad and those same feelings. Yes, I think for sure. You know, as, as somebody that works in the media and, you know, we want tension and drama, like I, I hope they qualify however they qualify. If they don't qualify, it's, it really is truly bad for everybody, you know, but I, I don't mind a little drama there at the end. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't mind a little sweat. And I think honestly, um, you know, from a fan perspective, Obviously, you know, you don't want to be there because you don't want to repeat of what happened five years ago. It was, it was terrible, horrible night. Um, but you also, everybody goes through this, right? Like Portugal and, and Italy are going to go through this. Um, big countries go through this all the time. And you have to like, as a nation, last time around, if you remember, I don't think a ton of people were watching that Trinidad game. Like, I don't think a lot of the, of the general population was following that game live. It was like after it happened. It was on being sports sports center with you. Yeah, exactly. It was on, it was on being sports. So after you guys go on sports center and that kind of goes viral and then that people realize, Oh, we're going to miss it then. But people, I don't think people were watching that game. I hope a lot of people, if it comes down to it, watch this Costa Rica game. I hope it's like a World Cup rating, you know? It's not going to be on ESPN. It's going to be for somebody else. I don't care. Yeah. Like, if there's a game to get into the World Cup, I hope the numbers reflect it from the audience, you know? Because people who listen to this will obviously be watching that game. But I really hope and believe that the casuals would turn into something like that. And that's, that's also good for soccer in this country, right? Like, oh, yeah, it's bad that they come down to the drama. But if you get a, a five or six million viewer event around the national team this close to a world cup boom that's free publicity too if they win you know um that could go really well and that's good for all of us that cover this game uh but it's it we were all invested and we and i i think it would be a great opportunity it would be an uncomfortable one but a great one uh, we've, I've used so much time on tacos and I'm glad we got USA Mexico, but I wanted another USA Mexico relations. And we're, I'm recording this on a Wednesday night and uh, CONCACAF Champions League, New England Pumas, hopefully New England finishes the job. I have already said that uh, an MLS team is going to win it this time around. I would have felt a whole lot better mm-hmm. if Montreal could have knocked out Cruz Azul. That game just ended 1-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so obviously Montreal really pushed them, pushed them. They, they scored a goal late and they could have a second goal could have, uh, uh, actually, I think that the away goals wouldn't have done them any favors, but it still was a competitive run. So what do you think? It's this, I just the way I've seen MLS plays teams play the top Mexican teams. And I know people say, well, Tigres and Monterrey and Club America are not there. I go, but this were the teams that earned it. Same with, you could say mm-hmm. that for MLS. I think New York city FC is the number one team. If you were an MLS fan at looking, that's the team you want in here, the way they are playing. And Seattle probably right behind them. Uh, but it's uh, it's these are the four teams, and they've played these Mexican teams very well, going back to knocking out Santos, putting a big number, uh, Seattle really dominating their game um, against Leon, and then Pubas, New England, the first leg. So I don't know what's going to happen in the second leg. It could go pear-shaped for these MLS clubs, and it's done it many, many times before. I, I say it happens. What say you, Sebi? How do you think this ends? And it has to happen at some point because I know it does have to happen. But it, it's this. It I, I don't think it's happen. minor. I mean, people say, OK, they don't pay attention to the CONCACAF Champions League. But I really believe it's holding this league back. And if you can if you can get the folks in Mexico to take you seriously and winning this helps, then I think that's a huge breakthrough moment. So there's two parts to it here. I think an MLS team wins it. I'm still very nervous. But what happens afterwards if an MLS team wins it? Maybe to your last point there, it's more important that the Mexican folks here notice it than the Mexican folks there, right? Because really, you're you're trying to get an audience here to to take you, not seriously, but more seriously, to engage more. And so I guess the, the idea is that, well, if we beat their teams and we're, you know, geographically more accessible then people will come and do their business with us instead of with the teams that they've loved forever. I don't know that that's actually going to pan out work, but I think that's kind of the, um, the idea of it. The truth is um, we know we're on a wave. <laughs> I like how you we set that up. The truth is. <laughs> yeah. The truth is we know we're on a wave, but we really have no idea like when the wave crests, you know, we, we, we don't, it's coming for sure. And I would say this also about, the U.S. overtaking Mexico in the national team level. Now, that's down to one very specific reason, because Mexico doesn't export its players, the U.S. does. But specifically with MLS, there's more and more expenditure. I think five, six years ago, you would see MLS competing for a few players that Liga MX was targeting, but not really getting any of them. Now we see MLS beating Liga MX for players that they're targeting and bringing in players that are you know, above the grade of Liga Mekis and some of these 15, $16 million transfers from South America. So I think what you're seeing with MLS is, is a gradual climb. And what we don't know is we don't know exactly where Liga Mekis is. What we do know is what's in CONCACAF Champions League now is not the best of Liga Mekis, right? It's, it's not. The, the, the three teams that, that were, well, I'll put it this way, Cruz Azul, even before this round was probably the only team you could reasonably bet on winning it from Mexico. Now, for me, they're still the favorite, right? If you put, give me a hundred dollars right now, you said bet on somebody. In this field. I think New York, I think New York city. I think New York city is probably the best bet out of MLS. I'm probably not. I think 
I'm probably going to, i probably lean Seattle for experience. And that would be the semifinal matchup. It would be New York city, Seattle. Yeah. So the winner in, in yeah. the way we're describing yeah. would be the winner there. Yeah. Take on the winner of Cruz Azul, so I, New England Pumas. Yeah. So I think, I think you're going to get, I think Cruz Azul will be in the final and you know, I just don't think, I don't think Seattle can beat them, but you know what? Um, <laughs> Start crying. Also, Cruz, no, Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul has some bad nights. Cruz Azul. They, and, they, and it's not just that, right? I'm t- like, just very recently, I could tell you, like, CONCACAF Champions League against Rayados, they disaster and a bad night at home. Um, when they were at the Campeones Cup, we were at that game in Columbus for ESPN against the crew. The crew were terrible, not even going to make playoffs in MLS. And the crew crushed Cruz Azul. And a Cruz Azul that played most of their first team. Cruz Azul has some weird, some weird, you know, they do some weird, bad things, especially around finals. So betting on them is maybe not the best, smartest idea I've had in a long time. But if I look at their, at their plantel, at that team, I, I think it is better than Seattle and I think it is better than New York City. So, um, and, I, and I think, you know, I think they'll, they'll beat, you know, I don't think Pumas is coming back in any way, but they'll beat New England uh, if it comes to that. So, uh, but generally, Max, I, I think you're right. Like, it's sooner rather than later that, and this, this, it makes a lot of sense that this would be the year. MLS is going to win that CONCACAF Champions League, but that doesn't mean that MLS is, like, better than Liga Mekis no. all of a sudden. No. Because it's been 10 years of winning straight. So if MLS starts winning, like, back to back to back to back, then I think we say, whoa. And that would be incredible because it wouldn't just be a, a like, turning of the time. It'd be like a, a shift, you know? Shift. It would be... Oh, this team went from win- this side went from winning all the time to the other side went from winning, and I don't think that's how it's going to go down. But man, you know, I, nothing would surprise me. MLS is is putting a lot of money into its product, and Liga Mekis, especially after this Querétaro stuff, I think is in a a very weird place. And so I don't think it's going to be a good next five years for Liga Mekis, and I think it's going to be um, arguably on the field anyway a good you know improvement in quality for MLS in the next five years. It's a uh, MLS teams care about it because there was like a few, just a few years ago, they would ask these MLS coaches, uh, I'm going to play a second team against this champ CONCACAF champions league. They would. And you don't hear that anymore. So there's been a, a some sort of edict and the clubs are really coming up and the league has made it easier for them to accommodate a schedule. So all that, benefits these MLS clubs, but they didn't used to do it. So all that's important. There's just a lot at play here, which again, makes it interesting, just like this USA Mexico game. And it, it, the key falls to new England. Cause you don't want Cruz Azul to get to the final because if new England can yeah, get an all, something, an all MLS final, how would that be? It's possible. And I think if you get the first yeah. cup, a second one would come. I think it, it, this is really a case of the first one's the hardest. And I know MLS teams have won in the past, but not in this format. But I think this would be a case of finally getting over the hump and sky's the limit. But we shall see. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the show. And it's been a huge hit. And I even like somebody tweeted, go, I want to know more about this Querétaro Atlas game. Go, Where can I learn it? And I tweeted, Football Americas. It's a place where you can see it. And it's successful. And it's. It's successful because we've always talked, and I know I've talked to you about this. How do, uh, this is a terrible analogy, but how do we get the hook into the Latin audience in the United States that speaks English that wants to do it? And we've thought a thousand things, and there's a lot of pandering and what 
has come out of these conversations that has hit me more than anything is it's got to be inclusive. You've just got to be, if you're the NFL and you know, a guy in El Paso who fits that profile is watching, just be aware. And there may be a moment in the broadcast where you can cater to that audience. And that makes a huge difference because they just want to be spoken to like they're part of it. They don't want you to put on a sombrero and dance. Uh, They want to, they they're here because they like the NFL. And same with soccer. And that's what you guys do, which I think is groundbreaking, that it's uh, a show where you include, everyone's invited to watch. You're talking about League MX, you're talking about MLS, but these, these streams cross. And there's a way to present it where, because the, the other thing is where it is, I've seen you over, you go overboard as a Hispanic on air, not you, I'm just saying these are examples, but you go overboard and then you exclude the American audience. There's a happy medium. Mm. I know it and I've seen it. And I think you guys have come as close to anyone of hitting it. So hats off to what's that, but this is, it's a big job, but I, I, I see there's an, to your point, there's an endless amount of topics that we all share that we can talk about. And football Americas is a, is a format is a platform where you can talk about those things. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, when I think about the show, it's very much for me, you know, like I am, when, when ESPN asks, how do we get young, like Latinos to watch us? Well, I'm a young Latino with interests that like reflect my culture, which is soccer, you know, soccer for me is a huge part of like, my mom taught it to me, you know, not my, it, the truth is like, my mom's from Mexico. If not for that connection, I, I probably wouldn't be like a soccer fan. My dad grew up in Buffalo, New York, like never kicked a ball. I probably would have been more into some, I probably would have been in sports, but something else. So for me, like soccer is something that I, I gravitated towards. And a lot of other young Latinos gravitate towards this game as well, because it's very ingrained in our culture. But the other reality is, and I think you know, for whatever reason, it took people a lot of time to figure this out, but you can like open the latest census and know this in 10 seconds. Young Latinos in the United States most more speak more English than they do Spanish. And for a lot of them, they don't speak any Spanish. You know, I'm lucky that my mom, you know, was like, hey, we're going to speak Spanish around the house so that you learn it. But, you know, a lot of people don't grow up with that a lot. And so a lot of people may love the Liga Mekis team that their dad loves, but they've been kind of following along through like, not that Tudene doesn't do a great job. I watched Tudene, you know, on Univision. Um, but it, it, but just, listening to it, that they don't really, it does, they don't really understand it the way that they understand English. And so I think what we set out to do, and Liga Mekis is like part of that, and the Mexican national team is part of that, but so is the U.S. soccer part of it, and so is the MLS part of it, and so is the NWSL part of it. Like, Latinos like soccer. And so it doesn't just work in Spanish. Latinos also speak English. And like, those are two very simple thoughts. Latinos like soccer, young Latinos speak English. So if you want to reach a young Latino audience, you should probably be doing soccer in English, right? And you should then, and then what do you create around that? I think Football Americas is one of the things that, you know, we create around that. And, and I think we, you know, Max, I'll tell you this because you, you, you'll, you'll appreciate it having been on the inside of ESPN, like people think like, oh, um, Joe Schmo talent, on-air talent has an idea 
and they, they just walk up to a, a, a door that says like the idea door and you knock on that door and you're like, hey, I want to have a show about this. And like bish, bash, bosh, like dee, dee, dee. like they roll out the armament and come up with a logo and like do it. That's not how it works at all in any way. The ideas in, in a lot of shops. There are doors you have to walk different. in, but it doesn't happen that fast. Yes, it does. <laughs> very happen that intimidating. Way. The ideas and the ideas, almost all of them for stuff comes from the top down. Yes. It doesn't come from the, the ground up. And so we had this idea and we, you know, we kind of had to figure out um, how to pitch it. And so internally we knew that there was a, a great demand for this type of content. So we pitched it as like, hey, this is a great, this, this show could be a great way to get um, young Latinos to watch the show. And we backed it up with numbers, whatever, whatever, whatever. But when we were, when Herc and I were building the show, we weren't building it for a Latino audience. We were building it by Latinos and it was going to look how we wanted it to look. But we weren't saying we only want Latinos to watch this and that would be stupid. Why would we limit our audience? I want everybody to watch this show. So we're going to talk about what everybody in American soccer is interested in. And we're going to bank that that's going to draw in young Latinos. And, and, and I think, you know, voila. that voila, voila, it's worked for, for everybody. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, not that we don't have a long way to go and improve and do more stuff. I'm, you know, you know, me, I'm, I'm like a I'm ambitious and be like kind of a, a crazy dreamer. So I have wild ideas for what the show is yet to be and, and how much we can improve and I can improve. But, um, yeah, I think the formula was very critical. And I think, you know, Herc and I and, and some other people, um, my wife, especially like, you know, my wife, you know, my wife works at ESPN. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of like behind the scenes, I ideated this, really thought through it, executed it on YouTube, looked at the numbers, looked at what worked and what didn't. And, and kind of put together a thing that could be presented to that door, to the door you're talking about when we finally found it, because it took us a while. Um, I think that's an important and, part you know, of this story to say that, look, this doesn't yeah. happen overnight. This is yeah. process. Pro and, and it's and tough to make through the cracks thing, of that channel. Totally. But the other thing I would say is that at the end of the day, what's super important, um, and I don't, you know, you know me, I'm not like a corporate like guy or anything, but I... You know, there, there are companies that talk about diversity and um, but they don't they don't like live it or act on it. And so what they do oftentimes, a lot of times companies will say like, oh, we're going to let a so and so a, a woman or a, or a Latino or an African-American, we're going to let them into the boardroom. And that's great. That's cool. But what's really cool is when you tell a group of Latinos or a Latino or a, or a woman or whatever, you're in charge. It's yours. We trust you. We give you all the resources, all the backing of the company. Do it your way. Not with a, not with a boss who's from, that's going to oversee or da, da, da. You guys do it. And, and when they, it took us a long time to get there. But when we finally got there, like they really did. And I think that's why Football America is like a lot of people like, like it it has that ESPN like big time feel they rolled They gave us all the tools, you know, that they, they've, they've tried soccer shows in the past and they haven't given anybody the backing. They've, they've really given this project. So I have to like in that way to tip my hat to, to, to the company and really to like a couple key bosses who were like, you know what, uh, we're going to, we're not, this isn't just a good idea. We're going to, we're going to be the ones that drag it across the line. You know, there was a time when I didn't know if it would happen and you know how that can be. You can get pretty like frustrated and I would like stumble around the house being like, 
no one's going to ever see football America. <laughs> but it made it, you know? Yeah. And look, I, I, ESPN has really gone above and beyond other networks. You know, uh, it's a place I used to work at. I give them a lot of credit because they, and I think they try uh, to your point to give that authority. It's hard. It, it just, you don't flip your switch. You can't put someone in that position because it is a big, it's a big role, but it's happening. And once there's a success, one becomes two. And that's how it works. It's slow, but at least we're seeing some development there. And I just think it's, it's tremendous. And with, with consuming soccer, you're this country, you, you have it in Spanish, you have it in English. It's two, it's options. And I hear a lot of people who consume it in Spanish. They go, yeah, it's not always for me the way it's presented, yeah. the goals and stuff. I like it. I maybe like the British version. And it's nice that they have those options, but uh, the inclusion to know that those people are listening when you're on the English airway is very important. Uh, it's a, it's a very important to be aware of that. And, and I'm all for the blending of everything. I was actually watching uh, the NCAA tournament. T-Mobile is airing a Spanish spot just in all the other English commercials, like no big deal. And you don't even notice it. And if you don't understand Spanish, you know it's a T-Mobile commercial. You'll see the graphics. Go, oh, that's a good deal. And I thought right. that's going to happen more often, and that's a good thing. So progress, yeah, my you'll friend. See, you'll see it on our show sometimes. Like we don't even subtitle stuff. You know, we'll just like let it roll because we're like, ah, eh, people will get like people will get, get it. that this coach in Mexico is under the hot seat and he's not happy at the reporter. They they don't need a a word by word translation. I think I think that's the other kind of you know, that straddling that line of both language and also um, the, 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 the Mexico-US line. That's the other thing about the show that, that I think resonates, right? Because if you're really gonna cover soccer in America, you gotta cover Mexico, Mexican soccer, right? If you, really, if you wanna get- We were so connected the two, leagues, national yes. teams, fan bases, it's all connected. And you know this, Max, at ESPN, you can't just like do a project and like just do it and like it can get ordinary numbers. Like everything's graded, everything's a numbers game. And so when we look at it that way, like we really have to say, okay, like we have to create a product that's gonna bring enough people in to sustain it, to like to convince the bosses to keep giving us a budget. That just doesn't happen by like doing whatever you want. So it's like, okay, well, what in this American soccer lane can we do that's going to bring more people in? And if you want to have your chance to get the biggest number in American soccer in a show like what we're doing, you've got to be covering Mexican soccer. You just get, you have to be covering it. You got the league and the national team, and you probably got to be covering the women's game, right? As, as well. So um, we, we lucked out that Herc and my, our resumes can kind of cover all that stuff, you know? Um, but that's really kind of mixing all that together, that blend is, is what makes the show unique. Cause there's a million other American soccer shows. That's like an MLS show or a national team show or this show or that show. Um, but I don't think anybody can combine the colors like we do. No, I, I could talk for all the evening now, but I've taken so much of your time, Sebi. I really appreciate you jumping on. This is, uh, you know, just, a. uh, it's good to listen to you. And I always get a little smarter and I hope we can get together and have a sparkling water or something. Now that you're not drinking. Yes. Somewhere along the way. <laughs> and some Al Pastor tacos. Yeah. Salazar. Yeah. Um, can I say one more thing? Of course. I'm on the OG podcast um, about football Americas. Like, and I know I've texted you this, but uh, anybody who listens should definitely hear this too. Um, you know, 
football Americas is, is almost entirely born out of the Max and Herc show. And, you know, sitting in, down in there in that PD 41 in Connecticut, um, you know, when you guys are doing your thing and I would jump in there and we would do some, sometimes we would do some stuff that was like, like super lighthearted. Sometimes we would do some kind of hard hitting stuff. And I think that range like started on those episodes, you know, when we did the Jonathan Gonzalez show, when we did the, um, remember that was, you get huge response to that. Gonzalez one was huge. That was our biggest the, thing. The, I think we did. Yep. There was like a, the presidential election. We did a thing around, but we also right. did some other stuff that was like, you know, more um, fun and the MX kind of specific. And, and I think, you know, if you look back at that show of all the, soccer things that have happened on ESPN recently it's most clearly resembles what we do in terms of content personality uh, so anyway man I you know I, I have so much respect and love for you but that that show is definitely like a huge part of, of our story and it always will be so and I thank you well, for uh, you know letting me on back in the day because those are some um, dude music to my ears times. music I can't tell you how that fills me uh to hear that but uh Cause that's what it is. It's, it's a step. And to be part of that is good. And you're going to open the door for someone else who is part, who's going to make more you know, money than both of us. <laughs> hell yeah. You know, what's amazing, Max. I don't know if you get this, but it's like one of the, the, you know, cause it can be pretty shit on social media for us. You know, I, you call games, you know what it's like. People, people can like really get after you, but I'll get a message every once in a while from like a young Latino kid. Who's like, yeah, I want to do your job. I'm, I want to be, I want to be the host of football America's. And the first thing I tell them is, please, I need a vacation. I need a day off from Herc. Please <laughs> day come from quick. Um, but really, it, it really does. Like, it's one of those things you say, wow, like, you know, you don't think of yourself like that. But I, well, I definitely saw myself in you when I like saw you on the Sports Center desk. And I think now I feel it like, oh, people, they see themselves in me. Like, wow, that's a that's a pretty cool feeling. So um, I always I love you. I appreciate you. And um, you've always been somebody that kind of like, um, looked up to so. Oh man, you know, I got nothing but love for you, man. Listen, man, I I I, I get way too emotional, so you're gonna make me cry. So I mean, it's, but <laughs> I, I appreciate Latinos. We I know, man. I'm just proud of I'm a proud of where we are because I know when I started ESPN, we're in a much better place now than we were just a few years ago. Uh, Marley Rivera, we did a podcast. We were trying to, it didn't get any traction. That was before Max and Herc, and it was like just getting it out there, speaking. I remember we spoke to Tom Flores. And we're talking about how he wasn't in the Football Hall of Fame. And he's talking about... Amazing. He was 12 years old picking, being a picker in Fresno area. And then he became a two-time winning Super Bowl coach. And I'm like, why is this... I mean, if we can talk about these stories that no one else is talking about, that's important. And I was just... Yep. It just it just hit me. And that's, that's a great example, did. too. That's a great example, too, because Tom Flores didn't get into the Hall of Fame for a long time. Last year. Because there wasn't enough... Yeah, because there wasn't enough Latinos in newsrooms saying like, hey, why isn't our guy in the Hall of Fame? That's weird. The guy with this great story is in the Hall of Fame. That, that's odd. Well, now there's Latinos in newsrooms. They started to make a racket and you know, he gets into the Hall of Fame. I want to, Paul Gutierrez, who's an ESPN NFL Nation reporter for the Raiders, he was really the guy that really started that. So I want to give him credit. And then we started pushing it. And I'm not saying we got him in the Hall of Fame, but I'm proud that we brought some attention to it because it was having that conversation was... Uh, was a mind blow. And there's so many great Latino stories. I mean, I was, I spoke to uh, Felix Hernandez and uh, Albert Pujols. And I'm like, I go, why did why not Alberto? And he goes, well, because I want to make it easier for the American audience mm. to be endeared. And Felix Hernandez said the same thing. He goes, don't call me Felix. It's like, I go Felix in Seattle. It makes it easier. And I'm like, 
what great people, what great people that they would sacrifice their name because they want right. to blend in. This is how Latinos are. And I'm so proud to be this community because Albert Pujol said, it. he goes, no, it's Al, it's Albert, because I want people yeah. to resonate. I want people to communicate with me and I want to make it easier for them. So all of this comes in. There's so many great stories to tell, but when, there's but that, some help that's then, needed. And it's not, yeah, and it's some, exactly, there's help that's needed, right? And at some point, doesn't it, isn't it on the media to say, hey, like, there's enough bilingual people in this country. Instead of doing a soccer game where most of the people who are playing maybe speak Spanish only or speak it first, why would I not have a bilingual sideline reporter there? Like, you have to, that's a must. It's, you know, it's not a debate. It's not to say that people who don't speak two languages can't work or can't do be a great sideline reporter, of course. But if, if you're covering a soccer game and you know the stars of the game are Spanish speaking and you don't have a bilingual person there, you, I feel like it's you're ill prepared as a broadcast, especially in the United States when there's literally there's, you know, there's me crawling. There's a there's a million Sevies out there that are, you know, there grew is. up, love the game, know how to talk on camera like this and that, you know, guys, guys who can speak Spanish to a soccer player. So. Um, it's, 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 it's noteworthy that those guys like made those adjustments, but maybe there's like a, a, a better future where like kind of, you know, we as Americans that are here, like meet people halfway, you know, we say, oh, we, we can speak Spanish. It's not, it's not that big of an inconvenience. I can translate it on the fly and nobody's bothered. Like, and it was great. And you actually got to hear from the person instead of hearing from the six foot two center back that nobody cares about. Yeah. I was going to be a love fest. And I'm going to keep doing this, but I, I have to, yep. I got to wrap it up. I'm trying to run to the gym. It's getting late here on the West coast. I know it's even nice. later on the, the, You're on the West uh, coast, but uh, I got to get a little sweat going, but um, I'm all about meeting halfway. And I think that's a great way to live. And you hit something else because you did the interview with Tata Martino. And for so long, he was like, I can do my job. I don't have to do this. And I'm like, well, I, I want to hear from him. He's the most important coach in this league right now. And then that was like a eureka moment. I know he probably he probably loved the fact that he didn't have to do these interviews, but you have to hold them over the fire. And that was, a, yeah, I was watching that. Yeah. I was like, everyone, even if you don't speak Spanish, find a way for access in MLS in particular to these Latin athletes and coaches. It's possible. Everything's totally. possible. So huge part of the story. Yep. Sebi, uh, again, I'll, I'll have to cut the cord or else we'll be here all night. All the love, man. Thanks for joining us. This was an awesome conversation. And have a great time in Mexico with your family, having El Pastor Tacos and some Sidre. <laughs> you, uh, you deserve it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Sebi Salazar, Football Americas, ESPN. This is a Soccer OG. We'll be back with much more. I did say we'll be back with much more, but that was a lie. Uh, we're not going to have a lot much more because uh, I'm going to take out stoppage time here because of the, the wonderful length of our interview with Sebi. And just remind you that uh, enjoy this, this qualification process because it's going to be much different moving forward with 48 teams. And there's some big games out there. Uh, what's happening in South America? I mean, we, we, it looks like we're going to have a surprising group of teams not make it, either Portugal, Italy, and Colombia, unless something crazy happens. But we're going to put the final touches on these European playoffs, which, you know, have been hit hard by what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, Poland moving through. It's uh, There's a lot to absorb. I, I, we've been going crazy with soccer because it's been league game after league game. And I like March Madness and my bracket's still intact, so to speak. 
Uh, but there was so much sports. And then these last few days, it's been quiet. The quiet before the storm. What to expect? Can the USA beat Mexico four times? It's hard to believe, but it's it's there. Because it's very it's four different teams. Although part of what I would say, and if you listen to the YouTube show, is if you are the USA, don't assume you're you're not going to beat Mexico because you beat them three times. It's actually going to probably be harder to do that. But take out some of the things that you got in those three games and use them here. And there are some things there, like you could use the same goalkeeper and the same back four that you had in the first World Cup qualifier back in November. You could do that because they're all on the squad and healthy. Little things. Christian Pulisic ready to go. It's going to be very exciting, but I really enjoy this because this World Cup qualification process isn't going to be like this anymore. And then April 1st, we'll get together, we'll watch the draw, and uh, we'll see where everyone falls. Not just USA and Mexico, but our good friends in Canada. I've been having so much fun with the Canadian folks. They are, they are watching this misery between USA and Mexico with a grin from ear to ear, with their feet up on the ottoman. And with all intents, of, they're, they're trying to get into the second pool. It's not going to happen. But uh, the fact that it could happen is pretty amazing. So apparently Canada's going to go for three wins here in this final group. It's going to be challenging because they're playing so many teams that are still in the, in the competition for these World Cup bids. It hasn't stopped them before. But man, Canada, I can't, I can't wait to see the World Cup draw and see where Canada falls. And, you know, hopefully get video of folks in Toronto and Montreal and Regina and British Columbia and Manitoba, everywhere just... Bring coming together for a very good moment. You know, I, I, I feel bad for the Russian public. They're not going to follow their team. Maybe the Ukrainian public doesn't follow. I hope they do. Uh, missing the World Cup stinks. Uh, it's an important event, but Canada has sat in wait since 1986. And well, here they are. This has been the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We'll be back to recap USA, Mexico. I'm recording this on a Tuesday, but as I always like to say, what is it that I say? Palacio Domingo. Domingo.